The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Howdy. And Father Andrew Kinstetter. Hi, Father Andrew. Hello, hello. Uh, so let's uh, get right into it. Uh, the first uh, topic we want to discuss right now is actually from a listener question. And let me read uh, her question. This is listener Teresa who sent it in. She says, uh, hello, I enjoy your podcast so much. Thank you for doing it. You're welcome, Teresa. And uh, she says, I've passed various episodes along to family and friends. and I feel like it's helped me understand new areas of technology. I have questions about doing a Windows backup. I know you're mostly Mac people, but not completely, as you will soon see, I have to interject. Uh, but I'd like to ask anyway, I've read articles about the latest Windows update breaking things. I'd like to back up my Windows 10 before I do the update. However, the various articles I've read give different information. For instance, how much space do I need on a hard drive or thumb drive? Should I use a different drive from the one in which I do file backups? Do I need other equipment? How long does it take? What are the risks of not doing one? I feel a bit of a time crunch since we can no longer indefinitely put off updates. Thank you so much. So uh, I held this one, uh, this question for this very episode because I knew, uh, yes, we are mostly Mac people, but I would have the mama nerd with me tonight and she knows uh, Windows stuff. So, uh, Pat, this is I, I, this is for you. So uh, go right ahead and, and if you can feel that one. OK, there's a couple of short answers that I can and give and then I'll I'll talk about a little bit more detail. But basically, uh, you should assume that you have to have the same amount of disk space for a backup as you've got data on your computer. And if you're trying to do an image backup instead of a file by file, it really needs to be the same size or larger than your whole hard drive, because most imaging software just makes a copy of it bit for bit onto an external drive. So that kind of rules out thumb drives because those just usually aren't anywhere near big enough. And uh, that's the, the biggest thing. So I usually recommend an external SATA drive and you can get one, you know, the little, little, uh, very small drives for like 50, $59 for a, a, a terabyte drive. So it's, it's a fairly reasonable way. And then you've got a good backup of all your system once you've done that. Uh, the second thing is, is that it's going to take hours. I just finished one yesterday to test it. And I've had it take on different people's machines between six and 28 hours. The one I did yesterday, I've got about 1.8 terabytes and it took 24 hours. Wow. And the other thing uh, that she, that she asked was, does it have to be a different drive? And I would say, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. You should always put a backup on a different drive that you have for file backup. In fact, I have gotten a lot of older, cheaper drives that I just, I'll keep an image from one month and then next month I'll use a different one to make an image on. Yeah. Uh, I just don't like the chance of one backup ruining the other backup when mm -hmm. the media, if the media should fail. 
uh, really doesn't need any other equipment. Most of the external drives are self-contained. They plug into either the USB port or on the newer Macs, you can get a cable that will plug directly into the USB-C port. Um, and the biggest risk is the time involved to rebuild everything if something goes wrong. Now, with Windows, they do let you now, with the latest version of Windows, you can postpone it for about 45 days, I think, to say, I don't want any updates at all. I'm working on a project. I don't want to get interrupted. So you can go in and set that in the newest version. Uh, I think the previous version was uh, maybe 30 days, but for a while, you could not delay it at all. Microsoft didn't want you to do that. The other thing is that what software do you use? Now, Windows has a couple of things that's that's built in and therefore free. They have an image backup, but quite frankly, many times my image backups using Windows don't finish. They'll find some file somewhere down in a hidden area that they don't like, and so they won't finish the backup. So that's one method. Uh, the second method is that there is a... Uh, a Windows 7 style backup, but it's a file backup. It's really not an image backup. So I've gone to looking for third-party software, and there are two very good free ones that are out there. One is called Macrium, and their product is called Reflect. But the one I use most frequently is by a company called Esus, E-A-S-U-S, and their product is called To-Do. And they have paid versions, but their free versions, I've made sure that I can back up and restore one file or a folder or the whole thing from those free backups. Now, their their paid versions give you other things that you can do, but they're actually quite good. Uh, and so I would, I would suggest using one of those instead of using the Windows image backup because I've just had it fail so many times. So that's the quick answer. I believe Dom can attach a piece of, to our documentation to go through a little bit more detail on those. Yeah. Now, one of the things that does happen is when you do an upgrade or an update, Windows does have what they call restore points so that you can set one. And if something happens, you can drop back to the previous restore point. The problem is, is that Windows is not usually setting this as a default. Most of the machines that I go to to work on, the restore points are disabled or they're taking zero space, which doesn't do you any good. So if you can go in and turn on restore points, that will help you in some cases. But if you've already gone to a new version, you can't go back to a restore point from an older version. That does not work. The other thing that Windows does is when you are making an update from one version to a next, they give you a place at the time that if something goes wrong, most of the time you get the option to say, oh, this didn't work. We're rolling it back. And then they it takes, you know, 45 minutes or more. And then you're back to where you were on the previous version, if you're lucky. But there have been times when something failed. The people involved could not tell me what they did wrong. I've had it fail on one of mine. And I've, I'm real careful about not turning off a machine in the middle of an update but occasionally it'll just crater. And the only thing I've been able to do in most of those cases, if I can't get a restore point, if it won't let me get back to the previous version or uninstall the latest update, I have to, to get a program that I can back up the data, reinstall Windows, 
reinstall all the applications, get all the settings back, get the data placed back, and we're talking two, three, four hours, depending upon how much it is. So that's the risk of not doing a backup first. Yeah. Even with a backup, you still may have that much work, (laughs) but you won't have your data if you don't back it up. Yeah, there's some universal concepts in there, too, for whether you're a Mac or Windows. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, I always say, you know, if if something doesn't, if a file doesn't exist in three places, it doesn't exist. You might as well, you're walking on a tightrope without a net. Um, I have, I always have two local backups here, like two separate drives, and then I do offsite backup through, I use Backblaze, um, and I'll talk more about that later on in this episode, a little hint and a preview of later. Uh, but, uh, so, Backup. Uh, the the time it takes to back up to your drive, we, we talked about like six to twenty eight hours. Some of that's dependent on how the the connections your computer offers. If it's USB two, it that's going to be the longest. You have if you have a computer that has USB three or USB C, or if you have a Mac and you have Thunderbolt, those are all progressively faster. Um, but yeah, so uh, definitely you want to have go. Well, the, another thing to point out is you you want to do regular backups, not just when there's a big change coming uh, because, you know, like when you're doing a system update, you know, keep, keep a regular backup. One of the things that you want to make, make uh, realize is all hard drives are going to fail. They are mechanical devices and they will eventually fail. I have a note in my, in my task manager uh, that I, I use that for every hard drive that I'm using of when to buy its replacement. I plan ahead of time. I think I, I think I max out it. Every I, I'm kind of conservative. Every two years, I replace drives, uh, the backup drives, because the, the a backup drive that doesn't restore because it there's something went wrong internally is my it was a waste of time. All those backups I tried to do. So, um, so those are a couple of things I would add to that. But uh, that right. And the other thing is make sure you've got backups in multiple places, as you said, yes. and in multiple formats. In other words. One image, one file by file backup, maybe another one that is, uh, you know, of course, in the cloud. But like, for instance, if I'm doing an image and a backup that's file by file, I usually have a different product. In other words, right. one might be one brand and one might be another because you might get to a point where that software is no longer available or it's it's got a problem and you didn't know it. So you've, if you've got multiple methods, yeah, this was more aimed at. Uh, this emergency backup, yeah. but yes, all the things that Dom's saying about if you if it's not an automatic cloud backup or an automatic scheduled backup that's always plugged in, it's not going to get done. Right. I've right. had too many people that said, "Oh, I, I meant to." Yeah, my wife my wife's laptop she carries it around, so it's never like connected to something all the time. And I have a note in my task manager: tell Melanie to plug in her backup drive. <laughs> Before she goes to sleep. Right, right. And and then I have to nag her. Have you plugged it in? Have you plugged it in? And she gets mad at me. Stop bugging me. I'm going to keep bugging you until you plug it in. So you might as well just do it right now. And so she she does it eventually. Or I go find the backup drive in the computer and I do it myself, which is usually what I end up doing. But yes, uh, always. Yeah, if you have a docking station somewhere that you always put it at night, that that should be where the hard drive is and it gets plugged in. Yes. At that point. She doesn't. I've got a question for you. Sure. Uh, For our listeners who may not be aware of the difference between these, you mentioned an image backup and file backup. What is the difference between the two and pros, cons to those systems? 
Right. Well, an image backup is a bit by bit, exact carbon copy of whatever drive that you have. So that uh, if something happens, that you can just put a new drive in there of the same size or bigger and restore that image right on top of it. Now, it doesn't, that image doesn't do you a whole lot of good if you're going to a new computer because that image will only fully restore on the same hardware. So a file-by-file file backup, which is normally what your cloud backups are, it'll back up everything in your profile. And in both the Mac and the PC, that's your pictures, your music, your downloads, maybe, maybe downloads, uh, your documents, uh, favorites, those types of yeah. things. Uh, on It doesn't back up the operating system. It doesn't back up your settings. You've got data, and that's really all you have. And and you really need it for different purposes, you know. So now it used to be that an image, the only thing you could do was do a full restore. Now the software for both Macrium and ESIS, basically I can go in and browse that image and pull off a folder or pull off a file. And so that's really a good thing. The other difference is a, the image is a snapshot right now where a lot of file backups are cumulative and will uh, a lot of the most of the cloud backups in fact that's my requirement they have to be versioning so when when you're getting it backed up you not only have the latest copy but you've got several copies old maybe up to 30 days prior because ransomware if it gets a hold of a drive and a backup gets done afterwards then your backup is bad it's corrupted it's it's encrypted so I always want a versioning backup, file by file, and an image in case I need to restore quickly. On a Mac, that can look like Time Machine backup. That's a file by file. Mm -hmm. You can right. clone the drive. You can do imaging on a Mac. I don't think it's as common on Macs as it is on no, Windows. Really not. Uh, so I do cloning, and the cloning is also versioning. Uh, the cloning software I use is Carbon Copy Cloner, uh, and it does versioning as well as uh, uh, cloning. Um, and and then I use, I guess I use a, a cloud backup and that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, that's that's that, that's a good point. Is, is you you, you want to have versioning as a as a backup and Dropbox as as wonderful mm -hmm. it is because it does versioning. It, 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 people think it is backup, but it is not backup. It's synchronizing. It's not a backup. Right. Just like iCloud Drive is not backup either. So um, you need backup in addition to those things. I mean, it's I use it as a way of keeping data safe because. It's in the cloud. If God forbid something were to happen to my house, uh, my Dropbox. It's one more place for it, right? Know? All of my files are in Dropbox safe. Uh, you know, for that sort of major catastrophe. But other than that, it's not really backup because I, <laughs> I'm working on it on a on a live basis, on a daily basis. So uh, that that's not backup. You don't work on your backup files. Right. The other thing uh, you did mention was Time Machine. Windows now has for the last, uh, since Windows 10 came out, they have what they call file history, mm -hmm. which is basically Time Machine oh. uh, on, on a PC. Yeah. And it works pretty well. But just like Time Machine, there are times that you have failures, that something unexplicably goes wrong and you can't always re recover. So it's all, that's another reason to not trust just one type of backup, have multiples. Okay. Well, Teresa, I hope that was helpful. I hope you got uh, some uh, good information out of that. I mean, that was uh, a lot of great information. Um, if you need any, um, 
if anyone would like more detail on backups, we should do a backup show. I think we've done one once, but uh, I think it's probably worthwhile doing that on a regular, <laughs> every once in a while basis to reiterate uh, good backup practices and what to do both Windows and Mac, uh, how to backup your phone and your iPad and all that sort of stuff to to really go over Correct. backups because too much data gets lost because people don't have good backups. Um, I've seen people crying at the Apple Genius Bar because their photos were lost. Uh, not so much anymore because of iCloud Photo Library, but uh, in mm-hmm. the past. So uh, back us, back up, back up. All right. Thank you, Pat. Uh, so let's move on to our uh, next segment where we're going to talk about a couple of articles that uh, recently came out. As everyone is well aware, for the last four or five months, everyone's been working from home more than usual, although uh, uh, I think the three of us work from home already. Our, our primary <laughs> workplaces are in our home, but uh, the, more people are working from home than than we have. And there's been some it, – it's become a in, a, in a sense, it's a, a giant, unexpected, and involuntary mass experiment in how, how changing how our entire society works, which has left some – uh, sociologists and industrial psychologists and others who, who think about such things with a lot of data for w- well what does this look like you, you you couldn't go and say and change however how a giant corporation works for just for fun for an experiment but this tragedy became an opportunity so uh, there's some interesting things out there and one of them was uh this article in harvard business review from the harvard business school uh where some Microsoft scientists, uh, you know, some researchers there studied how their own people uh, dealt with and how Microsoft, uh, the the trends they saw among their workers working from home. And uh, there's some interesting things that they found about the change in, in how people work. Uh, one of them was that people were working longer days. So they were they were on, they were on so to speak, you know, at, at work, more, four more hours per week on average. But what they found, it wasn't that people were spending more time at their desk, but they were change, they're changing the way their day went so that they were more likely to take a break to go, you know, take care of the ki- something for the kids or go for a walk or exercise. There wasn't just this giant block in the middle of their day that was eight to five work that they would, you know, start earlier and a little later but they would take more breaks for personal stuff in the middle. I thought that was very interesting. And, and frankly, it jibes with my with the way I've always worked from home. I've, I've worked from home off and on uh, in different jobs, you know, to, to some degree or more for the last almost 15 years. Uh, and that's the way I've always looked at it. Is I get, I have a body of work that I need to get done. This, uh, and I, if I need to go out and run an errand in the middle of the day, if I need to go, to help my kids with a math problem or something like that, I do it because I get my work done. So what do you think? So that's that's the first thing that they found was that that it was a people were working more, but it wasn't just working more. They were just uh, uh, longer at, at during the day, a block of time that they were available for work. Um, they found that uh, the people weren't distracted during meetings as much. Uh, because the, so you think as Zoom meetings, that's an opportunity to kind of be doing some other things. They said they weren't multitasking during meetings, which I think that was amusing. Um, but <laughs> noodling, <laughs> yes. Um, but they did find that uh, there were blurring of work life boundaries. Uh, one negative thing was also that they found that people were repur- that commute time time people n- normally spent commuting was being repurposed for meetings, which I don't, is not a trade off I'd might like to make. 
Uh, and there was a lot more information in that. Uh, what do you guys think? What did you think of this information about how people, the, the, well, one, how they studied how people use the tools, and that was the basis for understanding how people were working, but also how people's working habits changed and what, do you, what it might uh, presage for our future of work in this country. What do you think? I think, uh, I think you already kind of pointed out a few of the, the really cool things is that I think uh, just a more free flow of our day is just more natural to, to who we are as human beings. Um, you know, I, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, when COVID hit, he started to work from home and he had a six month old, my, my oh. goddaughter. And so like he was able to be there with, with his wife when, yep. you know, the, the baby needed something. And so there was, there was a give and take there, um, that wouldn't be possible with him, you know, in at the office. And, um, as you were talking for some reason, all I could think about was elementary school. Um, and the fact that, that like, you know, just kind of sitting in a, in an office or, you know, being on eight to five, maybe in more of a a desk job, that's just so contrary to like our, our, our nature and what we're, you know, we're, we're meant to kind of move around and, and we shouldn't be just kind of stagnant. And in elementary school, what do they do is you go out, play, play at recess, you know, right. uh, mid morning, mid afternoon, and you kind of break the day up. Um, and, and that sort of thing just allows you to refocus better when you, when you run off some steam or, you know, you go for a walk or, you know, whatever. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's some real benefit to that. Um, I think that there's some dangers though, as well. And, and one of the dangers that I can think of, and, and it sort of, it happens to me because currently, uh, the rectory is, is literally the second floor of the office building. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there's no real clear separation between home life, rectory life, whatever you want to call that. And, and my, the business side of, of being a priest. And that can be a bit frustrating because like, you know, you've, you, and I imagine many people would feel this way if they're working from home is that you have that you, it's almost too much of a blend between home life and work life. And how, where do you, where do you make those boundaries? And, um, you know, you could be working more than just four more hours a week. You could sort of, you know, overextend yourself that way. So I think working from home is, is, is great as long as there's sort of a dedicated space to it that you can close the door and kind of separate out. Um, another pitfall downfall is, is just our, our need for community and social connections that, that you miss when you Mm -hmm. can't, uh, when you can't get to the office. And that was something that was mentioned is that, um, or maybe that was the other, the other article, but, but you're not like going to just, you're not going to be able to just catch up with your with your coworker on the water cooler because yep. in a Zoom meeting with your entire staff, you're not going to be, you know, catching up with your with your buddy sitting next to you before the meeting starts. You're kind of it's it's strictly business and it's um, not the place for for that sort of thing. So we're we're missing that aspect. So we've got to kind of I don't know be aware of all of that. So it's. I don't know. There's there's a lot of interesting things here. I think a lot a lot more people will probably work from home because of this. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't really know. I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But I think there's some some dangers to watch out for as well in terms of just our social uh, nature. It was interesting. It did note that there were more people were scheduling more one on one meetings 
to build to, to kind of replace those lack of interactions around the water cooler or before and after meetings or you know in the hall so that they people are like creating virtual social meetings to to compensate because we do crave it we do crave that interaction mm-hmm. The the company my son works for, uh, one of my sons works for, basically encourages the, hey, drop in and and chat with your buddy, you know, type thing. And don't it doesn't have to be about work all the time. Yep. And so they're kind of realizing that you need to keep those social connections and those casual connections, whether it's through a quick chat. Hey, have you seen this? You know, or hey, I, I was thinking about listening to this type of music or whatever it is, you know, keeping the social kind of in the in mind during the day and not mm-hmm. being just so strictly focused. The other <sighs> thing I, I worry about, though, is it's it's great for us who are kind of in the middle America that where we have a place that we can say we can get a room and make it into our office. There's so many people that are crowded eight, ten to a house that that there's no way that they can segment out that time. And I really feel for them because it's it's got to be so much more of a stress. Yes, they're there to help with the baby, but maybe they don't have the time to get their own work done. Mm-hmm. And then their bosses get on them for that. Um, so that that's kind of a worry to me. I wanted to throw throw in um, when you when you were talking about the one on one meetings with people. Um, I think that that's a challenge for a certain group of people, and I would l- lump myself in them. Um, <laughs> those of us who are introverts. Introverts? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, I find it stressful, like, feeling that I need to, like, do a... I mean, unless it's, like, with, with family or, or really close friends, but just kind of coworkers or, you know, acquaintances or people in the office, I would feel... Uh, stressed out knowing that like, oh, I should do a, a, a Zoom one-on-one or a Skype call with them. I work so much better in like just walking by the office and dropping in and saying hi. And and that feels more natural and more comfortable for me than, you know, uh, the, the one-on-one video chats. Uh, the extroverts, on the other hand, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to they're gonna thrive in that because that's... they. <laughs> They, they have much more of a natural ability to, to reach out in that way. Yeah. An introvert having to do a one-on-one like Zoom, Skype, FaceTime call, you have to like, it's, it's a, it's an attention drain. Like it's yep. like draining your, be- your attention battery because you're, you're one-on-one. There is no escape. Whereas if you're sitting, like, especially for guys, guys communicate best when we're standing next to each other at a mm-hmm. bar uh, at a cars under the hood, you know, doing a thing, sitting here staring at each other is is hard. Yep. It's hard for us. So, uh, especially if it's one on one. So, yeah, I agree with that. That 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 sort of interaction is hard. And and uh, the, another thing that that is an interesting aspect of all this is that the boundaries. They talk about the boundaries between, say, like people who used to protect their weekends. My weekends are for family, not for work. They found that those people are blurring those lines and mm. and that there's like they say there's a new night shift taking root where employees are catching up on work at night, like say after the kids go to bed more so than they used to. I mean, people have always done these things, but more people are doing it than before, because, again, when you're when you're at work, quote unquote, all the time, which is your home, it becomes easier to do. And uh, so that that was very interesting. Right. And one of the things they found, too, is that the managers have a key role in all this. For one thing, they're bearing the brunt of the 
shift. They are spending more time in meetings and doing this sort of work having to do with. But also employees who average the most weekly one-on-one time with their managers experience the smallest increase in working hours. So good managers are key to making this work from home stuff work. So that's then begs the question, how do those managers become good managers? And there needs to be more time spent on that. Uh, so it's a, it's a very interesting experiment we're all doing. Um, I think that this I've I've long advocated that it's dumb to get in this day and age for all these people who work at in cubicles all day long to be sitting in one building that they've driven to, you know, far away from home, wasting gas, wasting time and all those resources when. Even if even if people don't work from home to have I, I think we should have like big biz, big corporations or even small corporations have regional small offices that people go to when they need to work from home when they need to. I think that flexibility with because of the because of what technology has given us, the ability to be flexible. I think that's that I think that's the future. It would be nice. Yeah, I'd like to see more of the, you know, work so many days at home and then work, you know, a part of the time at work when we do get back to being able to work you yeah. know, in an office. there For one thing, as you say, the, you could have a smaller space because maybe it's a shared space now. It's not right. a dedicated office for each person. And so you could you could do and you'd still have the the casual interaction and, and being able to see people once we can figure out, you know, how to do this safely. But, yeah, I don't want to see it going back to all big businesses. Now, you know, it, it does start begging the point of what do you do with all these big, big structures? Mm. Do you, can you use them for something else? <laughs> you know, like low income housing, like uh, like other types of of uh, uh, places playgrounds. for gathering. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. What? High rise playgrounds with. Uh, right. You yeah. know, these skyscrapers have like uh, slides between the floors. I'm just kidding. I'm just that kidding. would be cool. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I guess there there's some real pros and cons. And, and one of the things that my son mentioned is that he liked working from home, but it was isolating in some ways. And for an introvert who may be going through, who who could go through depression once in a while, you need to be able to get to see some people. Yes. You don't mm-hmm. want to just shrink into your own little cave. Right. So I can see where there could be some, some uh, mental health issues that need to be addressed in how do you keep people from folding in on themselves or overextending themselves or getting addicted to work so badly because there is no other outlet and that's they're always home. You know, those are those are mm-hmm. things that really need to be considered. So I'll put links to the both of these articles. They're both good articles. The the second article is from Forbes, which is really a survey of studies on on what's going on and, and what they've found uh, over the past few months. So one of the things you mentioned, like mental health issues, uh, one study found that over 40 percent of people in this was in March and April when things went early on. Forty percent, 40 percent of people said their mental health had declined in during the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, which is frankly no surprise to anyone. <laughs> I think that I think we'd all agree with that uh, for for that. Uh, a lot of us uh, are. We more stressed, more anxious. Our mental health is is uh, taking a hit. So um, yeah, th- there's a lot of other good data in it, and some some pros, some things that say, "Hey, that's good." Some things to be concerned about, and uh, as most things, so uh, check that out. Uh, so let's talk about some headlines, and uh, there's some interesting ones. It's summertime here in the north in the northern hemisphere, and that means for 
some of us travel a bit <laughs> or mm-hmm. at least getting out. Let's say well, used to. to. <laughs> yeah. Let's say getting outdoors into the into. The, in, in fact, that's actually what they found is more people are going hiking and spending uh, mm-hmm. time out in the great outdoors and the far away from other people uh, than before. And one of the things that that people are concerned about is keeping your phone usually charged on the go and you know people carry batteries and stuff like that well one of the things that we've been that has been sold for years are these solar powered charges everyone wants to think if i'm out hiking the sun is beating down on me i've got my backpack on or my day pack if i'm just going out for the day why am i not using the sun to keep my battery charged uh and so there's a couple articles here that we link to from both uh, nbc news and popular science about foldable solar panel chargers. Now the one from Pops I have to I have to point out is a sponsored post. So it's from people trying to sell things. But are are solar power charges worthwhile uh, given how slow most of them charge? Well, do you, do either of you have any experience with them or or any thoughts on whether you'd want to use one? I have no experience with them. Stephen had some experience with one, but it was slow. It was yes. nice if you were out camping in one place. You could spread it out and let it be mm-hmm. gathering the sun while you okay. were out hiking. But, yeah, it's... I tend to use a, a, a battery pack. Right. Because I, and I can, I can charge that, you know, beforehand and then take it with me. I guess I'm sort of, I don't know, I'm, I'm having an internal debate on whether or not I would want to be out hiking with a solar panel for charging my phone when the whole point is to sort of get away from it all (laughs) um i mean i i totally get it for for pictures uh and and i love it for that but yeah i i I don't know i don't i don't i don't think i am at all inclined to to go out and get one but i i do use a battery pack especially when i'm traveling um not outside hiking but when i'm like you know traveling across the country or Mm -hmm. on an airplane or you know those sorts of things but if i'm if i'm gonna go outside I'm more likely to rely on whatever battery power I have left. And if it, if the phone dies, well, then I'm just going to, you know, enjoy the rest <laughs> of the, the walk and, you know, call it good. Okay. Okay. Dead, you don't, you're not concerned for like emergency purposes or? Maybe it's because I'm in my thirties. I, <laughs> I, I, I am not that concerned about okay. an emergency situation. And usually my outdoor activities are at the park here in Cheyenne. You know, it's not, it's not like I'm, I, I went backpacking a couple times and I realized very quickly that that is not for me. (laughs) I can do it, but, um, I thought everyone in Wyoming was a outdoorsman in the, uh, into the, uh, grand, (laughs) was the grand Tetons in the, in the uh, Rockies. Sorry to uh, dispel (laughs) that, that image that you have, but, um, yeah, no, a friend of mine, I <laughs> he's actually a really good friend and he's a he's another priest, but I back when I was younger, I thought I needed to do everything that he did in order uh, to be cool. So, um he convinced me to go backpacking. Um he also convinced me to do half marathons, which I continue to do. Okay. But uh I have just totally derailed my train of thought with that. Um, <laughs> no backpacking for you. <laughs> oh yeah, but but I I don't I don't foresee at least myself being in a situation where that would come in handy for an okay. emergency situation. All right. If I'm going to go backpacking, people are going to know where I'm at. You know, if I don't check in by a certain date, because you can't contact anybody out in the middle of nowhere. That's um, right. You know, if you if you don't check in by a certain time, then they then they'll uh, send emergency people. But you can get satellite phones if you're if you're concerned about that sort of right. thing that can 
that can help. But that's yeah. We kind of went off on a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Pat? Solar power charging? Uh, I'm I wouldn't be interested for myself, but I have some friends that do go backpacking or camping for two weeks at a time or traveling a lot, and I can see where again not carrying it with them necessarily but wherever they're going to be spending the night you know setting it up and letting it charge during the day while they're out doing their thing yeah i can i can see that i really just don't see carrying around a solar panel with me yeah i i have a i have this gigantic battery that i have like it's just it's it it can jump a car it was one of my picks of the week uh ages ago i mean it's big enough that you could actually jump a car with it uh i use that when we when my family goes but like we we go car camping we don't hike camp you know the kids are too small for hiking camping that's my excuse and so uh (laughs) so i use that to charge overnight you know in the tent um i have a bunch of batteries but i've tried i've i got a solar power charger a while ago i've tried it it's so slow maybe the new ones are better but you know i uh, yeah that's i what i have seen that are cool are the the little camping stoves that are also chargers. The the heat energy is is converted into okay. uh, electrical energy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they're a little expensive, but uh, I thought that was kind of cool. So I, again, I don't know how fast it charges. Uh, oh well, now for something else you might want to take with you on your uh, <laughs> hiking trip, and, and frank, frankly, I wish I had one in my office right now. Uh, Sony is launched a a wearable air conditioner slash personal heater. Uh, what it is, it's this little puck-sized device. Uh, it's like it's like an old flip phone, so it looks like the size of it. And it, you have a special T-shirt that has a pocket up on the nape of your neck, and you slip it in there and turn it on. And of course, it's it's got an uh, an iPhone and or I mean iOS or Android app to control it. Uh, you turn it on and it cools you. It's a personal air conditioner or heater. Um, you have a lot of uh, big of big veins going through your neck close to the surface of your skin back there so that is a good place to cool you off uh, so uh, my office where i'm sitting right now is the hardest room in the house and so I'm, i've been looking at this going hmm, it's 130 mm. bucks but i wonder <laughs> i wonder uh, have you considered one of those igloo packs that you could freeze and just put on your back <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, I was gonna, how did you get frostbite in your house uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that and I'm wondering if the, hopefully this this uh, personal air conditioner doesn't get hacked, you know, and somebody somebody oh, like, oh, it's like an episode oh. of CSI. How did he die? <laughs> <laughs> How did he get frostbite in his house? Anyway, but uh, I just uh, I thought this was uh, fascinating. It's, uh, it's only available in Japan right now. Uh, you can although you, if you if you want to, you can get one imported. What wow. do you think? Do you think this would be at all useful? Do you think it would work? I hope so. I, <laughs> um, it it's funny because uh, our office building here at the cathedral is old enough that um, my office is a constant seventy five degrees, and we have we have got you know HVAC people to 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 look at things and try to you know figure yeah. it out. Um, and there's one of our employees who's across the hall who's in the same uh, zone as me. Mm-hmm. she constantly runs cold and I constantly run warm. <laughs> so the climate is sort of geared more for her than for me. 
And if we both could have one of these, then I could be cool, and she could be warm, and it would be fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> um, I do not want to spend $130 on it, though. So, Dom, if you want to get me a Christmas present. Yes, I'll put that on the list. That's that's what put I would it want. Put on my list. Oh, well, the right? nice thing is, is it, it, it also works as a heater, so that'll be midwinter. Uh, Perfect. Be, uh, yeah. I could see a personal heater probably easier than I could see a, a personal uh, air conditioner. Yeah. You know, for when, when things are really cold. But then and again, you're talking to a Texas gal, so the article says, I don't like cold. Yeah, yeah. The article says it can cool your body by 23 degrees Fahrenheit and raise body temperature by 14 Fahrenheit. I'm thinking they don't actually mean like literally giving you a fever. Yeah, that would be dangerous. <laughs> I'm not sure what they mean by that. So that's that's an interesting question. But uh, well, how did you? In end fact, up in you the don't hospital? you don't want to drop that much either because that would. You, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hypothermia. No yeah. kidding. Uh, start shutting down. Anyway, uh, so uh, more more to find out on that one eventually. Maybe it'll come to America as a regular product. Uh, our next headline uh, it concerns Netflix. Netflix, if you, uh, if you are the owner of a Google Nest Hub or Nest Hub Max, uh, which are the, the smart assistants from Google, uh, you can now watch your Netflix shows on it. Uh, because if you don't own a 42 or 65 inch TV in the other room with a, with a home theater attached, now you can watch it on this tiny screen (laughs) on your, on your assistant. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, frankly, people more and more are watching content on their phones and on their Mm -hmm. tablets and not watching it on the big screen. I don't get that, but that's, I'm an old man. So that's, uh, you kids get off my line. I only do it when I'm traveling. Yes, that that's a good point. So, but I wouldn't bring a Google Nest Hub with me. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> That's true. I was going to say, I sometimes when when there's multiple people in the house, one's watching one set of things. Mm. I'll take my iPad in the other room and go watch something else. Right. But that's still a little bit bigger than. So, so the does the Google Nest Hub actually have a screen then? Yes, they, I didn't know it had a screen. I just thought it was a hub for for managing all the appliances. No, it's sort of like the uh, the Echo Show from Amazon, which uh, which is okay. the Echo that has a screen. So they they have the the hub has a screen on it, and uh, okay. you can cast to it. So if you're watching Netflix on your uh, you know on on the app on your phone on your iPhone or your Android, you can cast it like you Google Cast to the hub and keep watching it from there. I suppose it's like. For, you know, either like in a bedroom kitchen. or kitchen. A lot of people have TVs in their kitchens. Um, that's not something I do, but um, but yeah, we only have one TV in the in the TV watching room. But um, but yeah, if you, that's it's an interesting idea that uh, you can. I like the idea that you can cast it, that you can, uh, you know, go from one device and just play it like sort of like AirPlay on an iPhone to a Apple right. TV. So that's uh, a nice, nice little uh, trick that they got there. All right, so I think that's uh, that's enough for our headlines now. I do want to move on to our picks of the week. And uh, Pat, what, what's your uh, pick of the week this week? Well, since I straddle between the Mac and the PC world, I've, I uh, recently have been doing a lot of remote control with people at home. And I've got a paid for product that I use, but I've had other people talking about, in fact, family members saying, you know, I'd really like to be able to control my computer from somewhere else in the house or help my, 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 my son or my niece or whatever it is, be able to, to help me with, with a problem. And I've, so I started playing a little bit that Google Chrome has a remote desktop feature that you can add an extension and then it has two different ways you can use it. 
if I set it up on one of my machines and I'm logged into Chrome with a particular user ID password, I can set the same thing up on, you know, all my machines and I can from downstairs check to see how, what the status is on the backup I'm doing on the upstairs computer, whether it's a Mac or a PC. It's an always on connection. Mm -hmm. The second way you can use it is just like TeamViewer and some of the other things. You can say, I want to be a support either supporter or supportee. And so the the you the person who wants to do the support uh wants somebody to help support them, they call it up, they get a number, they tell it to that person on the phone or text, and then the, the supporter enters the remote desktop and says, I want to help somebody so and then you have to it's a like a sixteen digit number. So it's it's not something somebody could just guess and get into your machine randomly. Mm. So it's it doesn't have all the features of file transfer and multiple screens and things like this that the that the professional products have. But for somebody who just wants to be able to help a friend or to be able to be somewhere that their main computer isn't and they're working on another computer that's real helpful. As I say, I've got an upstairs and a downstairs, and even though I've got more sophisticated products, the Google one is great for me just being able to be downstairs and check to see whether the the backup I was working or the repair thing I was working is working on somebody's you know machine. I can just do that. Excellent. The security is such that that's a 16-digit number, and when you give it to somebody, they only have five minutes to get in. So it then becomes invalid. So it's it, they're really looking at security pretty heavily. And uh, as I say, if you're logged in with your own user ID password on two machines, you've had to do some Google security to get there. So I think it's a, it's a pretty good product for casual use. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that I've used it in the past, and uh, it, is, it is useful for that, that sort of uh, purpose. Excellent. Uh, Father Andrew, what's your pick this week? So my pick is going to totally label me as a millennial, but um, <laughs> that's perfectly okay. So um, my pick is actually four years old, which is also something kind of unheard of in the tech world. But uh, if you were at all aware in the summer of 2016, the phenomenon that Pokemon Go was. Um, and I, and so actually that's my pick this week uh, because it is four years strong. And uh, before I go into kind of... Uh, uh, why or what's going on with it uh, and me currently, I, I want to point out there's a there's an article that uh, we will put into the show notes on it. But so so Pokemon Go this year surpassed three point six billion dollars in revenue over their, their four years. And so this year alone, 2020, they have um, they have uh, gotten four hundred forty five million dollars, which is the most um, since or actually ever um in terms of of a half a year chunk going back from from the get go um and the reason that I bring it up um and that I have it my pick of the week this week is because uh Pokemon Go you know for those of you who don't know it it's it's a it's a game on your phone that you go out and you catch these virtual monsters but it's tied to real life GPS locations so the whole point of the game is to get out walk around see you know um iconic places in your city and you can you can catch these virtual monsters called pokemon um and you can battle with other people in in real time and and that you meet that are playing the game but the whole point of the game is to get out and to get connected with your community and you gather in groups and you go do a, a raid battle together. And so it's a game that is 
not meant for COVID, uh, to put it <laughs> bluntly, because you're you're supposed to get out and, and interact with people. And so Niantic, the company who developed it, quickly changed. Uh, they didn't really change the game, but they added so many features to it for it to be playable at home without the need to to get outside and get out and walk. Um, they were able to to make it so you could battle each other remotely. You could join these raids remotely and and uh, do all these things without having to 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 be in close proximity with one another and so they added all these things to it to make it playable uh for for those um who are who are at home and not able to get out and because of that and all the other changes they've made over the past four years they are they've made 445 million dollars in revenue and also to point out this game is completely free you can play it without spending a single dollar you can have access to all the features without paying a single dollar. But if you pay into it, you get more items where otherwise you get only like one of a certain thing every day. You can pay to get more. Um, so the fact that they're making $445 million uh, just in 2020 is absolutely astounding and incredible. Mm. And uh, so back to to me personally, anybody who knows me does know that I I. I do play this game and um, it is fun even with COVID to get out to the park and, and, you know, go for walks uh, and not really necessarily interact with anyone, but uh, play the game. And I wanted to just share just a little bit that our local community uh, who, who plays the game as well, it's been really fun because with um, the, the game actually has a, uh, a large in-game event happening this weekend. So I felt this was, pretty uh time appropriate um called go fest and the last two years go fest happens at one of the really big parts parks in chicago uh but this year they've made it available for a for a small fee but to anybody everywhere at your home but our local community who plays the game has been using facebook to do sort of fun random promotional things completely not sponsored by a niantic but but just other people in the community who are trying to to interact and use facebook mm -hmm. to to um to to stay in contact and um sort of almost uh uh creating a, a storyline within the game so they there there's people uh who have been kind of posing as the bad guys and uh posting you know messages on on the the pokemon go group uh i was um i'm one of the admins for the group even so i i was i was on the good team and stole uh -huh. some secret information. So they posted a bounty posty bounty poster of me. Um, and, um, you know, so I was, I told them I'd be out at the park for like these three hours with, um, with actually some 3d printed, uh, uh, Pokemon and some secret information. So, so some of the community could come out to the park and find me and, you know, and you can, you can still battle and interact, but not, not necessarily be, uh, in close proximity with one another. So I was able to do that and pass on information. And so it's been a really fun thing to do that has also brought in the, the game, but also Facebook, also a community. And it's going to culminate this weekend, um, both within the game, but also within the community. And it's, it's been a really cool thing to see develop and process. And, and all it is, is a, is a, bunch of people in the community who are trying to make this fun and enjoyable and trying to do something with uh, you know with all the covid stuff and and this is this is just something that that we've been able to kind of connect with and it's something that i see grandparents playing with their grandkids 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a multi-generational sort of thing. Um, and the the people that I've met through it have been just really cool and from all walks of life. And uh, when they find out that I'm a priest that plays it, they're just like kind of dumbfounded. And then but, the, <laughs> but then it leads to some really cool conversations. And, and uh, some of these people, you know, have have an encounter with a priest that they would have never had otherwise. So awesome. That's kind of a cool. l- long story short. That's that's uh, my pick of the week. Awesome. Um, so, yeah. Pokemon. Yep, yeah, I've noticed that Pokemon Go has kind of developed this cult following. This this not cult following. This 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 grand fandom. following. Yeah, this fandom that goes beyond the, the fairly simple mechanics of the game. And there's just some some spark that it gets of mm-hmm. social connection. And it's real life social connection, you know, that, that, that it's not just, it's not just Xbox live. Yeah. It's, it's, it's because, you know, before COVID, but, and, and even beyond COVID, some of these raid battles, you have to be within like, you know, 30 feet of some real life GPS location for, for you to participate together. And then that just leads to interaction and, and yeah, real connections with people, which is really cool. That is cool. That's cool. That's a good pick. Thank you. Uh, so my pick this week has to do with our first topic, which was uh, backups. And I mentioned before Backblaze. Uh, uh, Backblaze has been my choice for a long time for uh, off-site backup, for cloud backup for my computers. And uh, they have various levels of backup, various kinds of backup that you can do. But the most basic is personal backup. They'll back up your Mac or your PC and any any drives that are direct connected to it. So if you have a couple of very big hard drives, if you direct connect them to your Mac or PC, it'll back those up to as much data as you got. Uh, although if you if you don't have a, a lot of bandwidth to the internet, a, a good connection, it could take quite a while to do your first backup. Uh, when I did my first backup, uh, you know, it was like a terabyte of data and it took like three weeks. Uh, now it doesn't take up your whole, you know, internet pipe it tries to be a good citizen and only does it when you're not actively using it and that sort of thing. Um, and, but I do have a Backblaze on my primary Mac and I have it on my wife's Mac and it backs up in the cloud. You can restore individual files. You can do a complete restore. If if you have a catastrophic destruction and you can, you can spend a little extra and have them send you a hard drive because downloading all that a terabyte of data it takes not nearly as long as uploading a terabyte of data. So you don't want to do that. So they, they can send you a drive. Um, and it's like, uh, the pricing, I haven't even looked at the pricing lately, but I think it's still like around five bucks. It's six bucks a month. Yeah. It went up a dollar. So six bucks a month or 60 bucks a year. You know, you get two months free if you do a whole year at a time. Um, so it's, it's a, a great deal for a piece of peace of mind. And if you live anywhere where there's possibility of, uh, natural disaster, or if you, you know, frankly, you're worried about if if you live where your house could burn down, which is every house, uh, it's the same thing. So um, this Backblaze is the one I choose. They have some other products that that are really nice. Um, they have a competitor to Amazon's AWS and or S3 storage, which is a kind of uh, cloud separate kind of cloud storage. It's if you don't know what it is, you do, you don't need to know at the moment. <laughs> you can look it up. <laughs> but they do have other uh, uh, products that they offer. Uh, they also have business backup. So it'll back up an entire business, a network, and that sort of thing. So Backblaze is uh, is my pick this week. 
Excellent. So I think that should do it for us this week. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Tony A, Marty K, Marie C, Zane C, and Deacon George. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So if you've got any uh, feedback on anything we've discussed today, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And we'll have links to uh, all the links from our discussion, our picks of the week, and to the extra information that Pat had on backups, uh, Windows backups. Well, those will all be in our show notes at sqpn.com. Be sure that you've subscribed to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel where you should hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, Father Andrew Kinstetter, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Pat Scott, thank you as well. Adios. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest. Quest.